For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! <laughs> Right here on 960theref.com. What is up, 960theref listener? Sam Franco, Chris Brain, back at you with another episode of the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Makes it a lot easier to find us. All of our episodes will be automatically downloaded to you, so be sure to do that on iTunes and give us a nice review because we like you and you like us. Yeah, I mean, we work hard for you sitting here and... Talking every week exactly. for like That's half right. an hour. That's right. Yeah. So make sure to give us that five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Plenty to get to on this edition of the crossover. We'll talk Georgia App State, what we liked, what we didn't like. We'll also preview the game against Notre Dame. We'll talk some of the other big games that went down last weekend in college football. A lot of injuries that kind of plagued a lot of really good teams and, and kind of ended at least one team's chance probably at a, at a national title run looking at Florida State there. So plenty to get to there, and uh, we'll also look forward to maybe some of the bigger games coming up this weekend because Georgia-Notre Dame ain't the only big one in primetime coming up this weekend. But we'll start here in Athens with the Georgia-Appalachian State game. Georgia really took care of business on all three sides of the ball, even after Jacob Eason went down. In fact, when Jacob Eason went down, that's when Georgia started to move the ball on offense. Yeah, and that's why, you know, and, and Jake Fromm now is the backup quarterback that people were excited about going back to uh, to spring ball. And uh, like Eason, was a, a, a prominent five-star recruit coming out of high school and put up really ridiculous numbers in high school playing ball here in the state of Georgia. So, so I think, you know, there was definitely more familiarity with what he was doing in high school as opposed to what Fromm was doing all the way out there west in Seattle um, we just had to take other people's words for it, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it was nice because it was, it was a nonsense free afternoon for Georgia, right? I mean, it was like it you was. said, all three phases were pretty much solid. The, I, I guess at the end, it was a bummer that Georgia didn't uh, end up pitching the shutout, but, uh, you know, Kirby had to put in Ramsey cause you oh, can't yeah. afford to have Fromm hurt now. And yeah. he threw those picks and <laughs> well, they scored 10 points. I do feel bad for Bryce Ramsey because his lasting legacy at Georgia, like the only things people are going to remember him for are interceptions. You remember the pick six against Alabama? He comes in immediately throws that pick six. And then he threw these two interceptions against Appalachian state. So you feel bad for the kid cause he's given a lot to Georgia and he wanted to transfer. They, convinced him to come back and Kirby even said he didn't really have any work uh, with the offense so for him to come in it was pretty much coming in cold like ice cold so uh, you give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt maybe he can get a little better with more work with that second team but Jake Fromm I thought was every bit as good as advertised I know he probably had some throws that he wishes he had back the touchdown pass to Javon Wims I'm going to go on the other side from a lot of people on this one because a lot of people are saying he threw it up into triple coverage. It would have been intercepted against a better team. For a freshman to, A, stand in the pocket and take a big hit, which is what he did on that play, and, B, 
have faith enough in your teammates to make plays. Yes, it was in triple coverage, but he still kind of threw a jump ball up there. And I thought that Wims did a great job coming down with it, getting the touchdown. And for a freshman quarterback to have that trust in his teammates and to have that kind of, you know, mentality of I'm just going to go for it, I didn't have a problem. With well, I'll say it was it was third down, mm-hmm. so worst case scenario, that's it's a long punt. It's a punt, you know, and App State intercepts it. They've got it down there inside or the a short uh, punt. The ten yard right, line, right, right. Yeah. so they've got bad field position. So I don't know. Maybe you know you weigh the, the weigh the risk or reward there, but uh, you know that is still something that you'd like to see him as he goes. That was his first game, so but and it worked out, <laughs> right? It did. But, it, but I think there is some truth to the fact that that won't work out against Notre Dame this weekend. It won't work out against teams in the SEC. So there's that maybe that a bit of that Brett Favre element that you'd like to see yeah. dialed back in there with them, but. Look, I thought Georgia did a good job of not uh, not putting too much on his shoulders, obviously. I was watching the TV broadcast, and you know Tommy Tuberville suggested that at this point, Fromm doesn't even know half of the playbook. Um, and now either Tommy Tuberville was making that up, and it's not true, or Georgia's coaches told him, our backup quarterback right now only barely knows 50% of the playbook. So they didn't ask him to do too lot. They put him a lot. They put him in position to succeed. He only had to throw 15 passes. It was a, a solid debut. But I, I, I will point out for, for anyone that is wondering now where Jacob Eason is planning to transfer, okay? <laughs> well, especially with the NCAA having this report come out to where they're thinking about getting rid of the one-year transfer thing. Right. But I, I, let me just say this. That two weeks ago, <laughs> Georgia was a three-point underdog Saturday. Now, we found out Sunday that Eason was definitely out mm-hmm. and Jake Fromm would be making his first career start on the road. The new line that emerged was Georgia plus six and a half. And now it's come down to four and a half, but it did make a big jump. Right. So I would submit that there's somebody out there <laughs> who's got skin in the game that believes that Jacob Eason right now is a better quarterback than Jake Fromm. But I will say this, the the differences between the two that I noticed, Jake Fromm had a tendency to stare down his number one option. He did that a lot last season. I have already noticed Jake Fromm going through his progressions quicker, and it looks like his head is moving around. He's looking for that open receiver. There was one play in particular, the fourth and four, where there was a receiver at the first down marker, but he was well covered. He could have tried to force that in there, but he didn't. He let a crossing route from Javon Wims develop, and then he hits him for a bigger gain in the conversion on the fourth down there. So I think that the kid already shows a lot of moxie, and quite frankly, there's and Dave talked about this in the morning show, there's that kind of it factor thing that nobody can really define, but it looked like he was very comfortable, and it looks like going into this Notre Dame game that he's not going to be easily rattled. No, I mean, he did. And now going into Notre Dame, he'll have a week to prepare knowing he's going to be the starting quarterback as opposed to you know to being thrown in there. Right. You know, basically being you – know, we found out last week when you know, Kirby said, Jake's not going to play unless something happens to Jacob. Like, mm-hmm. there's no design packages for him to come in and play at specific points during the uh, game. So for him to be prepared in that moment to come in that early in the game – and uh, play the way he did was um, was impressive. But, uh, you know, I'd like to think that, hey, what Georgia has is actually two very good quarterbacks. and But now Georgia only has one very good quarterback. And if anything happens to Fromm, then, then the dogs are in big trouble. And so 
you know, whatever ends up happening, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Once Eason is healthy again and uh, and able to uh, and able to play, but it is. Uh, but you know, you just have to laugh at the the immediate overreaction of boy, the the Fromm era is here. <laughs> Where's Eason transferring to? And I would just say that well, again, the the odds makers did adjust that line on word that Eason would definitely not play, and. Um, it, and it was a Sunbelt Conference team. I mean, if you look back at last year when Georgia played Lafayette, Eason actually had very similar numbers against Lafayette that uh, Fromm had against Appalachian State. Now, I know you say, well, App State's a better team than Lafayette, and I would agree with that, but they're both in the same conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, statistically, that was actually one of Eason's better games last year was against a Sunbelt Conference team. So let's just wait and see how you know things go moving forward as the, the level of competition definitely stiffens. And I got to say this about Jacob Eason. I'm not trying to throw dirt on the kid. The play he got hurt on, he should have thrown that ball away way before he ends up. You know, he's scrambling to the sidelines. It's like, dude, you're not Mike Vick. Like, what are you doing? He did dude? get hit late, though. I mean, but no, was... I know I understand that. But it's it's it it's the opportunity for him to get hit late was created by him like scrambling up the side of the field. It's like that's not your game. Like, throw the ball away, live to fight another day. I mean, I'm not saying he brought it on himself. I'm just saying that the situation would not have been there if he's not trying to scramble. Right. It's like, you don't need to do that. So, Sam, let me ask you, where's Eason transferring? Sounds um, like you're preparing for his transfer. Well, you know. <laughs> Is he going to Miami? He's going to go to Rick's? And... Uh, either that or he goes up to Washington, goes back home. He just goes back home? Okay. I don't know. But, look, I totally agree. It's overreaction Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to think that Eason's just going to transfer like that. There's still a lot to be written. That being said... If Jake Fromm goes out, those are 300 yards and four touchdowns against Notre Dame, then things might get interesting. Right, but then what happens if, you know, what happens if the opposite happens and he goes up there and it's a true freshman making his first career does start on the road and he looks mm, like. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. Other things from the uh, Appalachian State game, special teams were great. I thought Rodrigo Blankenship did a phenomenal job with the kickoffs. It was a five of six, I believe, went touchbacks. for touchbacks. I yeah, love that. He also nailed his only field goal attempt, hit all of his extra points. And a huge bonus for Georgia was Cameron Nizalek. The punts at that guy, I mean, Georgia's consistency in the kicking and punting game, if they can continue to, to perform like this, then it's going to be miles ahead of what it was last season. That was probably the most refreshing thing about the game was there was there, were, there was nothing negative that happened on special teams. Right. I mean, would we like to see a, a little more punch in the return game? I mean, Georgia didn't really have a big return in the game. Sure, I'd like to see that. And I, I think Georgia's got the weapons back there that at some point this season that uh, that will happen. It didn't happen Saturday, but right. it's not something I'm worried about. But as far as the coverage went, making kicks, the, the punting, I mean, he looks like already after one game, that's the best punter Georgia's had since Drew Butler. Absolutely, and he was very consistent. No shanks. Everything was, you know, in that 45-yard range. He had a long of 53, and that's all you thats all you can ask for from a punter is to be consistent, and I think that's what Cameron Izalek was, and hopefully he continues to be that. The defense, dominant. I mean, you know, they were put in bad positions on the two interceptions that led to scores for Appalachian State, and by the way, why are you kicking the field goal when they kicked the field goal? Like, you're down 31-7. Yeah. to seven. Although yeah. one of my buddies texted me. I asked that question, I think, on Twitter, and somebody er, responded on, t- on Twitter or whatever. They were like, hey, that, that won my buddy 40 bucks. So, well, like, you know well, what maybe, I mean? Maybe it won maybe the, was uh, an over-under or something. I didn't check to see what that was. But still, that's one of those where you're like, mm, why are you kicking that field goal? But anyway, uh, the 31-10 to 10 score line, 
was very good. Georgia's defense did not let Appalachian State get anything going. There was one play in particular where they lined up in that weird, almost like power eye formation where there was like it was like a pistol almost. There was like three dudes behind the quarterback. Yes. And it was like an option play. And I saw Richard LeCount basically run across the entire field. And I think the tweet I saw was from Jake Roos of uh, UGASports.com. He was like like a homing missile. And, I mean, LeCount just dipped straight across the field made a nice hit on him. So, Georgia's defense, big, fast, and physical. And that's what Kirby preaches. That's what he wants. And that's what they looked like against App State. Well, and I think when you, you, you go back to the preseason about thinking about what, what does Georgia need to have a, a successful season? You, you need your, your great players to have great years. And the dogs had... Uh, Trenton Thompson, Roquan Smith were preseason first team all SEC. Trenton Thompson was two tackles for loss. He led the team in tackles as a defensive line. Right. Um, Roquan Smith was right there with them too. Had a uh, had a big game. Yeah, I believe they the two of them had six tackles. I believe to lead the team. Yeah. Chubb and Michelle had great games. So it's like Georgia's Georgia's guys were guys on Saturday, and they they need that pretty much all season long and in every game if they're going to have a chance to to have a special year. Especially to take the pressure off a freshman quarterback. All right, we'll get to Georgia and Notre Dame here in a little bit, but I wanted to hit some of the other games, some of the injuries that happened around the country. That Alabama-Florida State game was rough. I mean, you had DeAndre Francois go down in the fourth quarter. He's done for the year, so that looks like that probably takes Florida State out of contention for any major thing at the end of the season whether that's playoff or anything like that ACC championship although uh, I guess they could still be in with that but with Louisville and, and Clemson probably at better strength right now than Florida State that might put them back some and then Alabama lost two linebackers and uh big deal well you know for them they'll just plug them back <laughs> know, in right? and it'll be fine Seriously, they've got probably like they've got they redshirted two five stars last year that'll probably that weren't starting this year that'll probably they'll be fine yeah I mean, seriously, that's like the thing with note with 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 Alabama. They lose guys to the NFL, they get guys hurt, and it's like you don't even you don't even consider the ramifications of it. I mean, here they were Saturday, beating the number three team in the country, Florida State, by seventeen points, twenty four seven, and that was like holding them to seven points with everything that they just lost from their defense a year ago. It's just. I mean, it's 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 absurd almost what uh, what Saban has been able to do there in Tuscaloosa. But I mean, you're right though with Florida State because we thought all off season the one thing about that game the loser of it was going to come out just as much a uh, a contender for the national title as they were going into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But I don't know without Francois now that that is going to be tough with Florida State because they do have I mean they got a brutal schedule still. I mean they've got to play Miami in a couple weeks. Uh, they have to go to Clemson. They play Louisville. By the way, they're playing Miami now who have a bye week going into that game because their game with Arkansas State got canceled. Oh, they canceled it? Yes, they oh, straight up canceled the game, and it will not be rescheduled. That game was in Jonesboro, so Miami just doesn't want to trans- it's, it's, travel. It's about – the article I read said it's not about going to Arkansas. It's about coming back. Right, because, I mean, they would be basically be stuck there for a, a couple days. Right. If so, not just, we just need to <laughs> basically stay here and then go straight to Tallahassee. Yeah, so they just uh, put the kibosh on that game so it will not be happening. So that's even more of a yeah. advantage for Coach Rick. That's good for Miami because yeah. I'm sure Miami was like, I don't even know why we're going to, to Jonesboro, Well, it's weird Arkansas because anyway. they played at App State last year. They were supposed to play at Arkansas State this year, and they play at Toledo next year. Who did the scheduling? Well, look, Miami's not one of those athletics departments that's 
has got the cash to be paying teams like two million for like those guarantees. kind of games. That's yeah, true. they just don't. So I think Miami has to. They, they've got to do stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. we're playing, we're paying Kent State. What is it like, like two million dollars? Something. It's like not quite two or something. something like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean Miami doesn't. They're not in a position where they can do that. No, but going back to Florida State and Alabama, outside of the injuries, nothing out of the ordinary happened in this game, in my opinion. Alabama dominated the game, and that's pretty much what I thought right. was going. Yeah, to I mean in typical fashion too. Where I mean, it was, I was a grinder. It wasn't yeah. like they, they didn't put up a whole lot of points. You know, they they were instituting a new offense, and so I'm sure Jalen Hurts is trying to get used to that. But Bo Scarborough was still Bo Scarborough. Uh, you know, Harris was still you know Harris. Their their guys were their guys, just like Georgia's were against uh, Appalachian State, and they were just way too much for Florida State. Right. I mean, I was watching that game, and it was kind of boring. It was, but that's <laughs> Alabama's games. It's just they do. They just suffocate you, and eventually you they put you to sleep. And then, But at the end of it, you're like, boy, I mean, Alabama didn't look that impressive, did no. they? But then you look at the scoreboard like, well, they just beat Florida State by 17 points, 24-7. to yeah. and, uh, I mean, My favorite sequence in that game, though, was when Bama did that. Bama had like a nine-yard punt, and their punter's terrific, right. J.K. Scott. But he shanked one. It went like nine yards. And all of a sudden, Florida set up. Florida State set up with what you think is like, all right, here's good field position. And Bama's deep first play, minus three yards. Next play was like an incomplete pass. Third play was like a screen pass that went for minus a yard or two. So the nine-yard punt, (laughs) the ensuing drive went for negative yards. And then Florida State just had to punt it right back. That sounds about right. Yeah, that's that's pretty much Bama. Uh, We'll hit a couple of SEC games, uh, just two more before we jump to Notre Dame and Georgia. First, we'll start with Florida. Whew, that offense looks like it might have gotten worse. And that's the thing. Jim McElwain was brought into Florida to improve the offense. And I know they were without Antonio Callaway. They were without their leading rusher. Yeah, Jordan Scarlett. Jordan Scarlett. But still, that offense looked like it had taken huge steps back. And the defense has lost talent. So they went up against a Michigan team that was replacing almost like everybody on the team. And at no point did you think Florida was going to win that game. No, I mean, Florida's only scores came courtesy of the defense. So in Florida's last two regular season games, last year against Florida State and against Michigan, they've scored three touchdowns all by the defense. So Florida's offense did not score an offensive touchdown against Florida State, which they haven't done in the last two years. And now they don't score an offensive touchdown against Michigan in the first game this year. I don't think Jim McElwain is long for Gainesville. The way that team looks right now. Well, combined also with the the off-the-field troubles, too, which, you know, existed under Urban Meyer, but he was winning championships. Right. And so with McElwain, and also it'll be fascinating to see, like, A, when are these guys coming back? These guys That's that a good suspended. point. Like, how long are these suspensions going to last? And then B, I would assume they're probably pretty close to being done. <laughs> well, then, B, how much truth is there to players were ratting other players out? Yeah, if that's the case, then as a coach, you've lost the locker room, and that's not good at all. That's going to make your seat even hotter. No, I mean, that's that's also the kind, you know, all of a sudden the kind of friction that could exist with a team where you're looking at, like, what, like a three or a four-win season? Well, that's what I'm saying. If, the, if Florida does anything worse – or if Florida does six and six or worse, is McElwain out? I mean, he's won back-to-back SEC East. Granted, they kind of fell into his lap. I, I mean, I think there's a, a solid chance that he would be, yes. Because, I mean, A, those Florida fans, when you look at them between Spurrier, Meyer. Oh, yeah, they, they, they're not used to this. And they love offense. And right. so even when Muschamp was there, that one good season they had where they went, what, 11-1, and one, we were the only team that beat them, and they ended up in the Sugar Bowl. Their and offense, then the Muschamp was like, I'll gladly trade places with them. Yeah, their offense was horrible, though, that year. 
Their defense was got them through, but their offense was terrible. And for as, as much as I would have been excited as a Florida fan to with the idea that Felipe Franks at least did win the quarterback job, um, you know, seeing the result of it, though, like I mean, we're still not good there, though. That was terrible. Yeah, no, the Florida was was awful, and it's, it seems like it's going to be a long season in Gainesville. Another team that has a coach on the hot seat, Tennessee. Oh, Georgia Tech. <laughs> you had the game. How did you lose that game? Well, uh, you know, I, their kicker, what, two years ago, or three years ago now here in Athens, nails that 50-yarder at the uh, at the bell to send it to overtime. Right. And then, so against Tennessee the other night, the, uh, their their new kicker misses two field goals inside 40 yards. That J.J. Green fumble was obviously huge, and I've seen a lot on Twitter where people are like, Agent J.J. Green. <laughs> yeah, I know, because he, he carved Tennessee up that one year when we had him here, yeah. when we needed him, because Marshall was hurt, and Gurley was hurt. Right. Then he went up to Knoxville and uh, ran for over 100 yards, but... Um, I don't know. To me, that was like the best possible outcome for Georgia because A Tech had just this excruciating loss. I mean, a right. game they never should have lost. Mm-hmm. They lost, and then Tennessee won, so maybe they'll extend Butch Jones' contract. See, my prediction before the season was that Butch was going to lose to Georgia, Florida, and Tech all in September and get fired. He didn't lose to Tech. I don't see how he loses to Florida now, although that game looks like it's going to be pretty bad now. Right? I would take the under in that game. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. I mean, I still I mean, look. I mean, Florida lost to Michigan. Tennessee barely beat Tech, so neither and, of them looked great. No, I mean that game's still in Gainesville. I would, I would lean toward Florida being the favorite there, but, um, um, but yeah. Although I say this about Paul Johnson, like, what did you think of the decision to go for two when he didn't have to yet? I liked it. I mean, first, here's the thing: Tech's going to be in trouble this weekend because on five days on short rest, you know, they have to play Jacksonville State. And they almost beat uh, Auburn a few years ago. And they did beat – they won at Ole Miss uh, even a few years earlier than that. But that's like one of the best one double-A programs um, out there. And Paul Johnson was already complaining about that. So – but first of all, with their kicker, I mean, there was no guarantee he'd have made the extra point. That's one. And I just think, yeah, you had to get the game over with or at least try. And you had the ball in your hands. Your offense was moving. Tennessee's defense was – on their heels. Well, it looked like the play was going to develop, like they had numbers, and then their quarterback cut it inside. If he'd have pitched it, it out, they'd probably get it and win the game. Yeah. I mean, they were at the, at the point where in the next overtime, they would have had to do they it. They would have anyway. had to have gone for two anyway. Right. But their their offense is way better designed to go for two than like a normal yeah. offense. Is. I didn't think it was a terrible decision. Okay. It's one of those where it didn't work, so it's easy to, <laughs> to criticize knock them now. Right. All right. Uh, we'll uh, wrap up the crossover today. Georgia. And Notre Dame, if you're like me and heading up to Chicago and doing the Cubs, Georgia, Notre Dame, and the Falcons, it's going to be amazing. Hopefully the results go the way we want to. But getting to the game on the field, Notre Dame had three guys run for over 100 yards against the defending American Athletic Champions. Granted, Temple has lost some off that team. But still, Notre Dame looked very good in their game against Temple. Uh, Brandon Wimbush and uh, two of the running backs go for over 100 yards on the ground. And this is obviously going to be a much more stern test for Georgia than Appalachian State was, but Georgia has been boasting one of the best front sevens in the country. Well, not necessarily boasting, but there's a lot of hype around Georgia's front seven, and the front seven's going to have to play extremely well and get pressure on Brandon Wimbush and make him uncomfortable for Georgia to win this game. Obviously, on offense, Jake Fromm can't make any terrible turnovers. Chubb and Michelle are going to have to play as well, if not better, than they did against Appalachian State. 
But going back to the defense, that to me feels like the number one priority in this game is for Georgia's defense to have a really, really good game. And a, and a great matchup with the left side of Notre Dame's offensive line with McGlinchey and uh, Quentin Nelson. Yeah, those are going to be uh, guys you guard. hear early in the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, they're projected first-rounders. What scares me about this matchup, and we're, I, I guess we're still feeling Malcolm Parrish, it doesn't sound like he's going to play. He's no. still out. And now Aaron Davis has been dealing with this hamstring injury, so that's two corners that are out for this game. You and don't feel good about that. No, and then it's Notre Dame's wide receivers that have caught my eye all offseason just with the size of them. They're, they're, the shortest one is 6'4", mm-hmm. and it's not like we have tall corners right. to begin with. And Because, um, you know, one day during the summer, the um, last year's Tennessee game was on, and for some reason I decided to torture myself and watch some of it. And you know, there were a couple of plays where they had, you had Malcolm Parrish was matched up against um, against uh, Josh Malone. Mm-hmm. And it was just easy pickings because Parrish is, and again, I know Parrish isn't going to play this weekend, but Parrish is just small and Malone was a big guy. So that's where Georgia's front seven, they got to bring some heat because I think uh, with those receivers as tall as they are, that's a bad, bad matchup for Georgia. It is. So that's why I think it's of the utmost importance for Georgia's front seven to get pressure on Wimbush and not allow him to have time to find those guys. That is going to be a very big part of this game. And uh, hopefully, you know, your Roquan Smiths, your Lorenzo Carters, your Davin Bellamy's, your Trenton Thompson's, you know, those guys are playing at their best because George is going to need them to do that. And and really, the def- defensive line is going to need to get pushed so that these Notre Dame running backs aren't going for big games. Well, and, and Chubb and Michelle are going to have to have big games offensively. Absolutely. And again, as much as we uh, we were impressed by what Jake Fromm did last uh, weekend against Appalachian State, I mean, the idea if uh, if if he carries a big burden uh, in this game offensively to to be productive. Look, I mean, Georgia, it's a true freshman making his first career start at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. That is not a formula for success if you have if you're going to ask him to do uh, even more than he did last weekend against Appalachian State. Um, so, but again, that's where you've got Chubb and Michelle, and those guys have to have big, big games offensively for the Dogs. Absolutely, and uh, let's just hope that they do. Um, you know, one thing about this game, too, is the return of uh, Riley Ridley, and that's going to be very big for Jake or Jake Fromm. I was about to say Jacob Eason. It's going to be huge for Jake Fromm to have him because I thought Javon Wims played very well against App State. You have Miko Hardman. you got Terry Godwin, and, and Riley Ridley just adds to that depth. He's a guy that can get down the field and give you that deep threat. So Georgia getting him back, that's going to help out a freshman quarterback tremendously. Yeah, I mean Ridley's got to he's got to catch the ball consistently. That mm-hmm. was really his uh, his biggest problem last year. A couple times that he had uh, he had big drops, one in that game on that first possession against Tech. Georgia had to settle for a field goal. It would have been a first down, and then Georgia missed that field goal. As I've been reminded, pretty much every day since then. <laughs> so, do the dogs win this game? Uh, honestly, I don't think they do. No, okay. but I mean, I would just the, that's why that I. All Georgia fans have been fired up about it. They should be fired up about it. Go up there, enjoy the Cubs game, enjoy South Bend and touchdown Jesus and the Falcons on Sunday, and just re- but realize it's the least important game of the year on the schedule. It is. I mean, it's it's much more important for Notre Dame than it is for Georgia because they're a, an independent school, so they need to have those big marquee wins going into a possible playoff bid if if they can get there. I'm not saying they will because they were four and eight last year, and I didn't see that much improvement. I thought they looked good. Granted, it was against Temple. Just like Georgia looked good, but it was against Appalachian State. So this is the first big test for both of these schools. 
And I think Georgia, this might be a homerish pick, but I'm going to go 28-24, something in there. I think it's going to be a real tight game. But I think Georgia will somehow pull it out. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a uh, a tough game. Georgia's not going to go in there and get like blown out like they did at Ole Miss last season. And Georgia's not going to blow them out either. No, like Greg McElroy thought was going to happen. We're going to go up there and win by three, four touchdowns. Oh. What did he say? Oh, Back McElroy. At SEC Con. Hush. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's going to be a, a heck of a game that's going to end up going down to the wire. Maybe it's going to swing on a. Uh, there'll be a non-offensive touchdown. Maybe Georgia can get one of those uh, knots, but. Um, but yeah, I'm just thinking if I if take, taking Georgia out of it, if it was the thought of any team out there in the country who all of a sudden had a true freshman quarterback who was going to make his first career start on the road in a place like Notre Dame, I would not believe that team was going to win that game. It's, it's just that's a tall, tall hill to climb. All right, I've got a lock of the week for another game this week. All right. Ohio State, Oklahoma. Two things. Take the over. And take Oklahoma. You're taking Oklahoma. Yes. So this young whippersnapper, Lincoln Riley, what is he? He's our age, Sam. That's right. He's going to go to Columbus, Ohio, and Urban Meyer is going to lose to him? I think so, I, I, for a number of reasons. I thought Indiana moved the ball way too easily on Ohio State's if, defense, and Oklahoma's offense is Indiana to the, like, ninth power. You know what I mean? I agree. I mean, I would be worried that if Indiana's quarterback threw for 400 yards against me. <laughs> well, what's and, Baker Mayfield going to do? And Baker Mayfield's on deck, but. I'm and I'm not saying Oklahoma won't have offensive success, but there's no way I could see like Urban Meyer losing a home game to a uh, to like a what is he 32, 33 <laughs> years old? Make I mean his uh, his like first road game as a coach and just his second head coaching game period. Although against UTEP, what they throw like two incomplete passes? Yeah, no. Baker Mayfield was I think it was like eighteen of nineteen or something. Still not as accurate as uh, Grayson Lambert. No, but then but. their backup only th- only hit the ground once. Oh, he did too. too? Okay. Yeah, their backup came in and was like eight out of nine or something, which is ridiculous, and that's very efficient. So uh, that's my lock this week, and I really do think Oklahoma's going into the shoe and getting a win. All right. Well, we'll see next week then. What else do you like this weekend? Um, on, on the old. Well, you know, is Stanford USC is an interesting one. That is a good one. Stanford's only or USC is only like what, like a four and a half point favorite or something like that. I thought I saw like about six. Oh, maybe it, it's it, it, come it, down okay. though, like the uh, like the Georgia Notre Dame game. But line still, favorite. I mean, I, if you like USC, you would think that they could go to you know and get that game and, and win it pretty handily. Well, the, you know, they they didn't look great against Western Michigan. They didn't. But the the you know similar to what you're saying about Ohio State giving up 400 yards passing to Indiana's quarterback and how that might uh, not be a good thing with Mayfield. I mean, USC gave up like five and a half yards a carry to Western Michigan. They did. So that wouldn't be that doesn't strike me as as a, a great statistic heading into a game against a, a team like Stanford that might run it all over them. All right, that'll wrap things up for us here on the crossover. Sam Franco and Chris Brame, happy to have brought you another episode. We'll be back next week, hopefully after a Georgia win over Notre Dame, and uh, I will tell you of all of the uh, tales from my trip to Chicago. So uh, for yeah, Chris Brame, for that. I'm Sam Franco. Thank you so much for listening to the crossover. Catch us every week right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.